This is KDXI St. George, Radio St. George at 100.3 FM. It's now time for tips, topics, issues, and positions. And now your host for tips, Dr. Bob Oxley. Hello, everybody. Bob Oxley here. Thank you very much for joining in once again. And uh, today we're going to talk about a number of key issues that are going on that affect here on the United States as well as around the world. And we're very fortunate to uh, have invited back, and he's accepted, uh, Professor Joe Green from our History and Social Science and Economics, and does a little bit of everything here on the campus at Dixie State University. So, Professor Joe Green, welcome back. Hi, Bob. Thank, glad to be here. I'm glad you're here, too. We, we've got a lot going on, and uh, uh, very, very serious things that are going on that not only affect our country directly, but indirectly. And uh, so we'd like to go through those with you. And I guess the first one is it's in the news uh, uh, every day now. It's the, uh, the impeachment of uh, Donald Trump, President Donald Trump. Uh, that was passed by the House of Representatives, and uh, yesterday it was the uh, documents were with the managers from the House uh, walked it over to the chamber of the U.S. Senate, and the uh, trial is is underway. Uh, they swore um, Supreme Court Justice uh, John Roberts to oversee this, and all uh, 99 of the 100 senators by law are there. And there's no access to any outside influence whatsoever. So they have to focus in on the impeachment process. Um, based on your knowledge, uh, is this a pre-drawn conclusion that the president's going to be uh, found not guilty and moving forward, even though there, he has been impeached by the U.S. House? Uh, oh, yes. Um, right now, I don't think there's any question that he'll be acquitted. Um, the... Most of the Republican senators think that the House uh, impeachment proceedings were a kangaroo court. That's kind of the term that they would use. Um, there were no fact witnesses. They, they would claim there were no fact witnesses, no one who, would, who can say Donald Trump did this, Donald Trump did that. Uh, the, only, the witnesses they had said they thought he did it or they presumed he did it. Um, the people who actually know uh, weren't actually uh, subpoenaed, okay? Uh, and, well, John Bolton was never subpoenaed, and he, he knows. Some of the other people who probably know what went on in the conversation and behind the scenes uh, when uh, Mr. Trump was dealing with Ukraine uh, were subpoenaed, but uh, they... House wanted to move quickly and chose not because President Trump and all presidents resist the idea that any one of their close advisors can be subpoenaed by anybody uh, to talk about privileged conversations that the president has with them. Otherwise, if they know that they, it's called executive privilege. George Washington asserted executive privilege uh, in the in his in his term first term as president of the United States when the Congress wanted some test, some documents. He said, you can't have those. Those are executive branch documents. So this is a separation of powers issue that can only be settled by the, by the Supreme Court. So in order to get John Bolton or uh, his assistants or other people who were in the room, if they'd wanted, they didn't ask for Rudy Giuliani, but he, he may or may not know things. Um, at least to 
depose him and find out what he knows, um, they have to go to court and the court has to agree. You may uh, interview this person. Uh, the president cannot claim executive privilege under these circumstances for this person. Uh, this is the, uh, I, you and I may remember this from the Nixon impeachment. Nixon uh, was found to have recorded all of his conversations in the Oval Office and uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee uh, and the special prosecutor both subpoenaed those tapes. And Mr. Nixon refused under executive privilege to t turn over the tapes right. saying they were privileged by the executive branch. And it went to the Supreme Court, which ruled eight to nothing, I think. I think there was, I think it was eight to nothing that he had to turn them over. And once they turned them over, uh, the tape showed that Mr. Nixon had engaged in the cover-up that he was charged with and uh, the impeachment uh, proceedings went forward in the House. Uh, the Judiciary Committee had voted to impeach, sent it to the floor. Nixon resigned before they could do it, so he was never impeached. But yeah. uh, he, he clearly would have been convicted. Uh, the Republicans went over and told him, uh, you you got to go. You you won't you won't get Republican votes, and that sort of become became the culture associated with impeachment that it had to be not bipartisan. That's what Nancy Pelosi said originally when the issue first came up that yep. it should be bipartisan. Uh, your question was, will he be acquitted? The most of the Republicans in the Senate uh, believe it was uh, that the issue was conducted, the impeachment proceedings were conducted behind closed doors. Uh, they weren't allowed to cross-examine witnesses. They weren't allowed to uh, uh, present their own witnesses. Uh, and uh, a lot of the testimony was taken uh, as depositions. So it was not public where uh, Mr. Trump's lawyers could be present. And, and um, Given all of that, the Republicans are not likely to uh, to vote to do that. Right. There's yeah. a couple of things that have come up, though. Uh, Senator Collins, Republican from Maine, as well as uh, Senator Romney, uh, want, want witnesses. Uh, they've indicated they would like to have witnesses. And there's a lot of pressure on Republicans by the party itself. Um, I, I don't know if that's going to take on, because a couple of things have been yep. released over the last 48 hours. One came out of the GAU, GAO, the uh, Government Accounting Office, which is a bipartisan, nonpartisan operation agency within the U.S. government that indicated that President Trump is indeed guilty. He violated the law with Ukraine. And then we have another witness, which I question uh, his uh, reliability, okay. His Mr. Piranis, uh, who supposedly, and the, there's actually videos and film of uh, him with uh, President Trump, uh, with uh, Giuliani. Um, this is very. This all came up in the last 48 hours, so it's very, very interesting. I wonder if that's going to play uh, with the Republicans as to maybe we should. Uh, relinquish and, and have uh, call in some 
some people that to can testify at this trial. Right. The in order to be to have an impeachment, the Senate has to pass a set of rules to run it. And the Democrats, as soon as impeachment was finalized in December, immediately began asking that the Senate call witnesses immediately as part of the trial. In the Clinton impeachment, the rule uh, said that the Senate would listen to the House managers present their case and give the president's lawyers a chance to present their side of the case. And then a few days would be taken for senators to write questions, present them to uh, Chief Justice Roberts, who would then ask them of either the prosecutors or, or the president's attorneys. And then after that, if the senators, a majority of the senators uh, wanted to have additional witnesses, felt like they needed additional witnesses, then they would call them. In the, in the Clinton impeachment trial, there were four additional witnesses called at that point, but they were deposed. They weren't on the Senate floor. They were just deposed. And then uh, the results of that, I guess, reported back to, uh, to the senators uh, what came out. So that's the rule that the Republicans adopted. That's uh, the Republicans. It was a 54 to 47, is that it? 46 vote that they, uh, that they did. Uh, Democrats voted. They wanted to make sure there were witnesses called. And so, but the rule is, and it's, it's, it's a partisan vote, okay? <laughs> the rule is uh, they're going to hear both sides, then they're going to ask questions, and then they'll decide by a majority vote if there are witnesses. If you can get four Republicans to ask for witnesses, then all the Democrats would vote for witnesses, and they'll call them. But that's that's a can of worms too, okay. because the rule is going to be the republic the, the the Republicans were not allowed to call witnesses to counteract any witnesses the Democrats used in their impeachment proceedings in the House. The, Dem the Republicans are talking about a one-for-one -one witness rule. You call a witness, we call a witness. You call a witness, we call. You have four, we're going to have four. And most of them want Hunter Biden and Joe Biden uh, and the whistleblower and Adam Schiff. That's who the Republicans are talking about that they want. They believe the whistleblower is a partisan, that he's not a true whistleblower. Some of the Republicans believe that. Some of them haven't, uh, haven't made a decision yet, okay? Uh, but the ones who have been following the case and so on think the whistleblower is a, some sort of partisan who had no direct knowledge at all, who's third-hand, what we reported, that there was some sort of uh, collusion with Adam Schiff and the Intelligence Committee behind the scenes, which is uh, contrary to the way whistleblowers are supposed to operate. And so they want to know if this has been a setup job right from the beginning. So who knows what will happen. If the Democrats want to call John Bolton, the president will still assert his executive privilege. And depending on whether they want to make the impeachment trial go clear through May, the Democrats may not get any witnesses, and the Republicans will get all of theirs. Yeah. It's a little bit different the way we use the term trial, the Senate trial. But really, it's from, from the way it works, it's actually you have the 
uh, Chief Justice John Roberts is kind of like overseeing the operation. Yeah. And each of the senators actually are a judge in their own right yes. to make that decision. It's a little bit different than the normal normal trial setting. Right. But it is an adver- adversarial system. Uh, each side presents their case. And then the judges, it's more like the trial of Socrates. Instead of 12-member jury, it's this huge, huge number of people that, right. that are there. But you need, you need uh, uh, three-fifths of this is it three fifths or two thirds, three fifths of the senators, uh, to, uh, to, uh, vote to convict. And, uh, right now it isn't there. Now, could something happen if there are witnesses called, uh, the GAO report, uh, that is basically meaningless unless a court of law and with both sides arguing, uh, determines that Mr. Trump broke the law, okay? Yeah, this they is, actually put it in writing. It's actually yeah, in writing for the GAO. Right. But it's it's not officially breaking the law unless you go to court. That's the way our system works. And so if you wanna, if you wanna litigate that, that's into May too. It, as soon as it's gonna get done. And, you know, here we have all these senators who are running for president sitting in, in a trial for right. the whole time. Right. <laughs> By law. By law. I mean, they don't they have to stand up and identify themselves. Then they have to write their names in the logbook with the date. Yes. I mean, it's it's a big deal. Yep. It's the third time. So a lot of it, a lot of the ceremonial things, the rituals seem to be uh, antiquated because it's only been three times and it was put together by our founding fathers, but right, they're but, adhering but, to it. But the the process that you use in the trial is, a, is made up every time. Senate. This is the way they do legislation. They, Congress has rules committees, and every bill that comes up, you have a rule for the way the debate's going to go for that particular bill. They make it up every time, and so uh, again, they did it one way when Andrew Johnson was impeached. They did it another way when Nixon was impeached. Uh, Mr. McConnell wanted to follow the rule that uh, they used in the Clinton trial right. that was approved. 100 senators to nothing to as, as the process to run the trial. So the Democrats may get witnesses, and they may not. Uh, those who, on the Republican side, who don't want witnesses believe that, the, that it was an inadequate impeachment, that, that it was a set-up job, that uh, uh, the House didn't do its job, didn't call the witnesses it needed, and they're, a, they're, they're acting more a jury. They're not a finder of fact. The finder of fact, in, a, in our legal system, we have a finder of fact, and then we have a decision. And the finder of fact is the trial court. And that's what the, how, the role of the House was to That's fig- exactly fig- what some of the senators pers- have expressed. But Mrs. Coll- uh, Senator Collins, uh, I hadn't heard of Senator Romney. I imagine Senator Mikowski. Uh, I haven't, I haven't th- heard those that. Those three. Yeah. Uh, will probably say, uh, uh, given what we've got, I'd like to hear from John Bolton, or I'd like to hear from, and vote for witnesses. Uh, the question is, can they get an, that additional one that they need? Uh, there are three senators, I think, uh, Gardner in Colorado, Tillis in North Carolina, who else am I thinking of, uh, who are gonna have tight races. Oh, with McSally in Arizona. We're gonna have tight races uh, where 
the Democrats almost equal the Republicans, and, and sometimes the Democrats win, who might not want to take a vote against witnesses because it might look bad for the reelection as it's coming up. Interesting. So it's, it's uh, up in the air as to whether it'll be witnesses or not. Uh, and again, if Mr. If the prosecutors, if the Democrats can get Mr. Schiff his witnesses, he may not get them without some court proceeding to determine whether uh, executive privilege applies or whether it doesn't in this particular instance. It's going to be interesting. And this is another first because the first time a uh, president is up for re-election and the impeachment process is moving forward for the very first time in the history of the United States. This right. is ongoing. And, and, the, and the country is really divided right down the middle. 47, 47%. Yeah. Right uh, down the middle. And, and the people who think that the Republicans are right are, are absolutely rabid that he is, that he's been set up. And those on the Democratic side are absolutely committed and concerned and energized that they want the guy impeached, that he's... Uh, that he's, uh, uh, m- most of them think he's done impeachable things his whole presidency. They just finally were able to get him on this. That's one. Well, they're on break until Tuesday, so <laughs> that was great. Okay, let's move on. We got a lot. There's a lot going on in the world. There, there, there was one other thing, and that's okay. the partisanship. Yes. In the thing that you asked me about, um, I think it's. I don't think any, I think someone would have to be naive to think that most of the Republicans have already decided, and most of the Democrats have already decided. There's some undecided in there. So the, the, the claim that this is a partisan thing, uh, the, the one is nonsense, okay? This is going to be partisan. Uh, and even though, you know, they all swore to uphold the law and be impartial and all of that, uh, in their own minds, on each side, all of them think that they're being impartial, because it's just that they know what the what what the case is before it starts. And they, and they also feel that they are representative of their constituents back home. That's right. And that's exactly the way they can justify whatever way they vote. Yeah. So so Mr. McConnell has already announced what he thinks, pretty clear what he thinks, and so is Mr. Cruz and Mr. Mr. Cruz is he's questioning about the he asked about the uh, having witnesses. He was yeah. it was a really shocker that he came out and said that yesterday. So well, there there I th- it sounds to me like uh, because they're starting to entertain the idea of witnesses uh, deep down in the Republican uh, conference that uh, th- there may be, but I I would I would not go to Vegas and place bets on whether there is or isn't all interesting. Let me just add one thing about this whole scenario here is that, um, Supreme court justice, John Roberts has a reputation for doing due diligence and analyzing everything to every, every T's crossed, every I's dotted. And he will implement, um, administrative law for this trial. And he's done it. He's he. And I'm I'm hearing this from both sides of the aisle. Right. That uh, he has got. He's really got a lot of respect from both parties as to the way he's going to handle this trial. Right. He's going to be like a judge in a trial, yeah. not like an appeals court judge who has to ask questions and write his opinion and so on. He's he's going to call balls and strikes and. Uh, 
you know, I doubt at the end of it that he will look that his reputation will be diminished in I, any way. Everybody's assured that he's going to run a fair, a fair trial. So, I've got something else. This is this happened yesterday in the state of Virginia. They voted in favor of the ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment, which will be a an amendment to the U.S. Constitution, possibly. And they represent the 38th state to ratify. And uh, I looked back in my history book, and it, apparently in 1982, that was. The, the vote was supposed to end, and then they had extensions and extensions. Here we are in 2019, and we finally have the 38th state that has agreed to this. But I need your help on this one. I'm up in the air because the state of Ohio has already said they changed their mind. They don't want to ratify it. But my understanding is that's too bad. You lose because you already ratified it. So can you give us some highlights as to, well, first of all, it's, it's going to be a long time. I would think it's not going to, because we have the 38 states now, then you're going to have all this questioning about uh, ERA and what does that really mean? Right. It was extremely controversial after it was released. Uh, I think it was uh, put to the country uh, to the states by the Congress in 72 is what I remember. Yeah, 72. And it had a 10-year, supposed to have a 10-year run, r do it by then. Uh, it seemed non-controversial when it was put in, but uh, uh, the, the part of the, of the right side of our political spectrum uh, that emphasizes family values, religious people and others like that, uh, started to see concerns with it and thought it will mean women in the military, uh, that uh, uh, women won't be treated equally when they're pregnant, or that there are uh, all, all kinds of yes. horror stories from that period in, the, in that culture came out. The Utah State Legislature ratified it, and then... Uh, it was condemned by the LDS General Authorities in Conference, and the Utah State Legislature unratified it. And I don't know if you can do that. I don't know if you can either. And, That's why. And now, now I'm in in a dark area as far as my knowledge of what's been happening here, uh, because uh, I had understood that it was three three states short, and that's why it didn't pass. Uh, it, but that would include states like Utah and some others that rescinded after it became controversial. And Ohio. Yeah. Uh, but so I don't, I don't understand if the issue, if those states that rescinded are being counted as part of the 38. I don't understand how you get to 38 if you don't count them. But again, I'm in the dark on this. Well, I did, it just this, happened yesterday. So I'm, this, this I do, this, <laughs> I put it on this, her. I do know. Okay. okay. Uh, this will go to court. Oh, I'm sure it will. And it's going to be litigated. And ultimately, the decision on what the time frame was and whether certain states ratified or whether they didn't uh, will be uh, uh, determined probably by the United States Supreme Court. So, and a lot of the issues that people were worried about groups were worried about that led them to oppose it uh have kind of gone away that's I mean, right there are women in the military now absolutely i mean some of the issues that are pointed out in the era 
here we are since 1972 and 2019, those issues are no longer issues. They've been resolved. So it's going to be interesting. I thought I'd put it on our agenda to talk about today. So there we go. Um, Let me think now. Uh, Yeah, I think what we're going to do is uh, we're going to take a little bit of a break here. Okay, and we'll be right back. Um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I hope you're enjoying this. We've, we've talked uh, at length about the impeachment laws, the Trump impeachment trial, which is ongoing, and uh, appreciate uh, uh, Professor Joe Green being here with us today. And uh, uh, those of you who didn't know that Virginia ratified the ERA yesterday, and uh, we may have a new amendment to the U.S. Constitution, but we both agree that it's probably going to be hung up in the courts for quite a while. But uh, and some of the issues that were so uh, so important back then uh, have been resolved. So uh, we'll be right back. Uh, and uh, don't go away because there's a, there's a few more issues that uh, we want to bring you up to date on. And I'd love to have Dr. Uh, Dr. Green give us his opinion on those things. So we'll be right back. And uh, this is Bob Oxley. And uh, come on back. Bye-bye. We now return you to TIPS. Topics, Issues, and Positions with Dr. Bob Oxley. Welcome back, everybody. It's Bob Oxley here, and our guest today is uh, Professor Joe Green. And uh, we've talked about the impeachment trial. Uh, We've talked about the Equal Rights Amendment that uh, gained its 38-state ratification yesterday in Virginia. And uh, we made a determination that's going to be locked up in the uh, legal system, I think, for a while, because that will be an amendment to the U.S. Constitution. I'd like to change gears right now and just throw this on the table. Uh, It was reported yesterday uh, that in the 2010s, the decade of the 2010s, worldwide, uh, that there's a record heat level increase uh, around the world of anywhere between one to three degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and, uh, people are looking at uh, Australia, which is literally on fire right now. They're looking at droughts and they're trying to come up with some projections as to if this heat increase continues at the same rate, what that will mean to us by 2030. So climate change is back on the air uh, and people are concerned and trying to get their arms around this. And we just had the, uh, the meeting in Europe about the climate change and some of the countries uh, didn't, didn't, didn't take on the uh, 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 commitments that we thought they would. Uh, the United States, as you know, uh, removed itself from the Paris Accord. So uh, just going to throw it in your lap. Uh, should we be concerned? Is this uh, climate change? Uh, we're talking about making adjustments globally for heat and increased heat. Uh, we're seeing uh, lots of uh, natural things uh, deteriorating. We're seeing uh, penguins down in Antarctica. Half the population now is no longer with us. It's decreasing because of the heat. Uh, what's your opinion on this? Uh, the earth has warmed. In, uh, the, the 20th, in the 20th century, it warmed about 1.2 degrees. Uh, about half of that occurred before 1950 and about half of it after. Uh, before 1950, we weren't dumping as much carbon as we did after. Um, and so, uh, but there was a, a heating of the earth up to about 19, I think it was 1980, 1988 or 19, 
1988, okay? Then it leveled off, okay? And it's, uh, but we got uh, to, uh, to the earth was, you know, very warm uh, from, from, uh, from previous experiences that uh, most of us have uh, living. Uh, I'm not sure about, I didn't see the, the idea that in the 2010s, that it heated three degrees, that sounds... In some, some areas, it was one to three degrees was yeah. the range that they came up with. Right. Uh, the uh, mean temperature of the Earth, that um, was very, very difficult to figure out what, what, what that means in, in any meaningful yeah. form. Uh, but there was a leveling out for about 20 years, okay? As far as I know, that leveling out... Uh, the temperature year to year fluctuates up and down. So we've had some of the hottest years on record in that period. Uh, but because we, you know, the earth heated up, but it's not at all clear that it's heating exponentially. Uh, the people who are pushing a green new deal claim that it's heating exponentially. Those, uh, Positions are, I think, a misreading of the uh, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is the official UN body that uh, that everybody uh, uh, kind of looks to to uh, uh, decide exactly what is going on with the climate. Yeah. That's okay. where the scientists report and all of that. And in their their last report, there was a, a uh, an assertion that if we don't do anything uh, within the next ten I think it was 12 years, now it's 10 years, uh, that there would be something like a 3% three decrease in GDP by uh, 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 2100 in, you know, 80 years from now, okay? Um, that has been turned into a, uh, by some people, into an existential crisis. They, claim of an ex existential crisis, and I'm, I don't buy that. Global warming is happening. It's not clear that you can blame droughts and hurricanes and all of that on global warming uh, because uh, all of this is extremely complex. Now, my field is economics, and my understanding of an economy is that it's very difficult at a macro level to project anything. Because there's so many, uh, literally millions and maybe billions of, uh, of causal factors that operate uh, in independent and, and uh, uh, jointly with each other in something as complex as an economy that you can't ever really figure out uh, in any kind of a st statistical equation exactly what's going on so that yeah. you can predict stuff. I think okay. what the problem is that we get hit with uh, very uh, emotive eliciting uh, factors. Like for example, when this report came out, there was immediate uh, uh, another report that came out and said there's 2 billion people that are in water crisis around the world, India and some of the other areas that are suffering from droughts in Africa. Yeah, uh, you, 2 billion people that 
their water supplies have disappeared and they're counting on trucks from the government filled with water twice a day to get urns filled with water to survive. Um, that's very emotional. It is. And you and I were in uh, Switzerland one year ago. Yes, we were. And uh, we got to walk hundreds of feet down. 400 in, stairs. Down, downstairs to get to a glacier that had once been where we started. Absolutely. Okay. So the earth is warm. The glacier, some glaciers have retreated. Uh, no question about that. The question is, do do we have a handle on climate science to, to to an extent that we can predict exactly what's going to happen? Is there going to be is are the increases in temperature going to be relatively moderate? Okay, as they've been for the last twenty years, or are they going to be really fast? Uh, there are 39 climate models, that is computer programs that have been written by really smart people that are designed to put as many of the causal factors about climate uh, into statistical equations and then run those statistical equations to come out with projections. This is the primary way that climate scientists can test their understanding of, the, of this extremely complex uh, phenomena that, that has going on and complex. I, I didn't quite finish before complex means there are million of inter millions of interacting parts yeah. that react to one another when something changes. Okay. In an economy, if you begin uh, regulating a certain industry, the people in that industry react in ways that uh, are not predictable to, uh, to try to deal with whatever the, change in the law or whatever it is that occurs. And so the prediction levels for macro macroeconomics are really poor. The joke is they predicted nine of the last five recessions. That's kind of the way. Well, <laughs> these 39 climate models right. projected back in 1988 and since projected that the temperature of the earth should have risen, the ambient average temperature of the whole earth should have risen uh, between three and nine degrees. And in the period that it was measuring, it didn't rise at all. It was for that period stagnant. Is it going to be forever? I have no idea. I'm just, my claim is that this is really complex and we don't know. Yeah. And the living species though, uh, that are being affected directly and indirectly. Uh, oh, sure. I mean, we're talking about not just human population. We're talking about living species around the world. And the example I gave to you was about the penguins in Antarctica. Yeah. That was a study that was done over the last year, and they were shocked that 50% of the penguin population has disappeared. It's gone. Yeah. Uh, when climate changes, uh, the Earth adjusts. That's consistent with uh, our notions of geology and biology and, and so on. Uh, most of the species who've ever lived on Earth are now extinct, okay? And usually it has to do with some sort of climatic change, maybe a meteor hit or the climate change as it did. It's one of the main factors that uh, biologists use to explain speciation is uh, uh, people getting cut off by some climate change or some geologic change or something. Uh, that is one group of animals cut off from another group. So there's a 
a certain kind of a squirrel that lives on the south side of the Grand Canyon, another side on the north side. They're different species. Uh, it was clear they used to be the same species, but because Mutations. of the canyons between them uh, yeah. and the changes that have occurred right. and so on. But I don't mean to dismiss or, you know, it's just m my position is we just don't know. Okay. Um, now, based on these projections that have been really wrong, Okay, so far, maybe the climate models will get better, but so far they've not been able to uh, take that into take that into account. One might conclude that the rate of climate change, rather than being exponential, is more convex mm. over time. Okay, but I don't know that. No one knows that. Okay, so now the question becomes: What do we do in order to deal with this potential problem? Uh, and the solution that is being argued for by people I don't agree with is we've got to do radically change our economy in such a way that we, we get completely rid of fossil fuels and, and all of that and, and destroy, essentially, they don't say this, but it's essentially what would happen is destroy the wealth of the, uh, of the, of the country. Um, I think it's a sustainability uh, ideology that, uh, I, I don't agree with. And even if they do that, the projections that were done for the um, changes that would have been made in the Paris climate, climate accords, right. had every nation decided to live up to their commitments, was that maybe we would be able to offset climate change by some tenths of a percent of a degree by 20. And uh, you've disrupted the societies. And, and you spend trillions of dollars to dis, to disrupt, to make a minuscule change in things. But what do you think about if we implemented things in a orderly fashion? For example, if we started to implement electric cars. Well, electric cars doesn't solve the problem because electric cars need electricity, which has to be generated. And uh, there's... I, I don't think there's any kind of good evidence that we're going to generate the electricity we need using solar and other renewables. I thought it was power stations along the highway that are solar panels. Yeah. Um, in order to generate the kind of, uh, of electricity that we need to run our society today, uh, we're literally going to have to clear off the Western United States and set up solar panels and windmills out there. Uh, when you use windmills and solar panels, you use a lot of rare earth metals. And when you mine those, it's extremely harmful to the environment. Uh, solar panels uh, have to be recycled after 10 to 15 years. And all that stuff that's in them has to be dealt with. Uh, when you clear off big chunks of desert, you destroy the environment that's under the desert. So it's, it's, it's going to be an environmental catastrophe to do that. Windmills have their problems too. Uh, they are, uh, there are noise problems with them. Uh, they also wear out and need to be recycled. Uh, they're killing birds, eagles and, and other uh, birds that we spent uh, two decades trying to preserve. You know, they're, they're killing two or 300 eagles a year, these, the, 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 so, and they just have not demonstrated based on current technology and anticipated technology that they can generate the kind of electricity 
the, the amount of electricity we need to run our society at current current levels. Yeah, okay. we, I, I, I visited uh, Palm Springs, you know, yeah. the, uh, the, the panels of solar panels that are out there and the wind turbines that are out there. And that grid is dispersed throughout the Western US. That's part of the grid. Yeah. And right here in uh, around St. George, Dixie Power has a solar, solar panel grid. I mean, they've put out to make that available to people that want to use that power grid. They have to pay a little bit more, but yeah. uh, but if, if we are want, you saying that those? I mean, is, those are alternative. Um, uh, I'm I'm energy close. sources. I, uh, my source here is the guy who was do, doing. Uh, uh, renewable energy for the Obama administration. He was in the energy department and in, in charge of it. You can go online and find, it's got a big long, it begins with S, it's a big long German name that he has. And he's the one who said that if this is, if you want electricity generated not by fossil fuels, the, what, the alternative we know about that's clean, absolutely clean is nuclear energy. But the people who are pushing the Green New Deal are against nuclear energy. That's the one reasonable alternative to fossil fuels. Now, here's the second thing. Mm. Back in 1998, was it? No, yeah, 1998, we had our first climate conference at Kyoto. Kyoto. Oh. And the United States and all of the other industrial countries of the world committed to reach certain targets for reducing carbon emissions uh, by, uh, I think it was 2015 or whenever it was. Only one nation reached its goals, United States. Got it. And the reason we did is because we, we uh, innovated and discovered fracking. Fracking gets huge amounts of natural gas out of the ground, which meant that our electric utilities found it cheaper to burn natural gas, which burns with way fewer emissions and way less carbon release than coal. So uh, Mr. Trump said he was going to bring coal back. He's not. And the reason he's not going to bring it back is because we have a cleaner energy source that is uh, th that we're now using, and that means that we reached ours. Uh, in Germany, when they tried to initiate their uh, renewable energy, yes. really strict uh, things. They're uh, really strict requirements. Right. Their solar and wind weren't able to do it. They shut down their nuclear energy plants. Yes, and they now, they're, now they're burning coal. They're burning coal in, in huge numbers so that they don't disrupt their economy. If you disrupt the economy, the, the politicians uh, big time, by instituting things that harm the economy, that, that reduce the millions of jobs that operate in the fossil fuel industry, okay? Uh, and that reduce the electricity and heating and all of that that we have available that we're used to, okay? Uh, the people who do that will not survive politically. So politically, you can't imagine how, how, how we're gonna reach this. In the United States, uh, the, the, a country that does, another country that reaches its targets or gets closer to its targets is France. Yes which generates much of its electricity, I think over 50%. Oh dear. It's okay. Tells me to go to class. Yeah. Um, generates over 50% of its energy uh, 
with nuclear power. They, they developed nuclear power. Unlike Germany, they didn't get rid of it. They expanded it. And they use way less fossil fuels. And so, um, but my view is that uh, uh, we should let the market, the free market, adjust to this. We could do some governmental things like uh, find ways to raise the cost of carbon fuels in a fair way over a, a period of time. And that stimulates profit-seeking businesses to figure out ways to adjust okay. to whatever's going on. But it's really hard to take the climate extremists, the climate uh, people who claim that we're in an existential crisis seriously when people like President Obama buys a $50 million house in Nantucket, which if he's believes what he says is going to be underwater. Underwater, right. Okay. Because of the so sea level rise. The sea levels are rising. They have been for gener for, for decades, for centuries, as it turns out. Since the Little Ice Age ended, we've been warming sort of consistently since then. Uh, it's pretty clear that it just has to be based on the physics that the amount of carbon we're dumping in the atmosphere is contributing to global warming. I just don't know how much. I don't think anybody else does. And I don't think completely undermining our economy uh, works when we're very innovative and creative. The Dutch live under under the sea level. Yes, they do. Okay. <laughs> and uh, it, the sea level as it rises will rise gradually. And uh, we'll just, my view, we'll just adjust to it. Uh, all of the... Uh, claims about uh, fires and hurricanes and all of that uh, may be true. They may not be true. Nobody knows. Uh, but to, to associate weather changes with climate changes is to mis misunderstand the difference in the science. There's, there's two different things going on here. But even the jet stream is changing somewhat. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah there's, a, there's a lot. It's a lot to be considered here. And, and you're absolutely right when you, when you indicate that nobody really knows. Uh, we're all trying to get our arms around this, but uh, it's very frustrating, needless to say. If in the next generation the temperature goes up three degrees, is the uh, bottom level of these, you know, we should probably be concerned. No. But I don't think we ruin our economy based on the data there so far. Yeah. And I can I can have a, a guest on here that are uh, uh, that say this is the worst thing in the world. We got to take yeah. action immediately. And and it's like yourself, maybe we take a balanced approach. I and nobody knows for sure what the answer is. Right. Let me let me just really quickly maybe, here. Maybe I'll get some <laughs> some emails. Yeah. Let me just ask your opinion on this. Last couple of weeks, President Trump had a drone attack against the Revolutionary Guard General Qasem Soleimani. And uh, he was eliminated. He was mm -hmm. killed. And then uh, less than 48 hours later, uh, a, uh, a, U a Ukrainian uh, jetliner is shot down by Iranian missiles as it's taking off from Tehran. Tehran and uh, and the, first of all, they denied it. But then the Iranians said, yes, I did it. And then the, the leader of Iran yesterday made a saying, well, that's part of the situation the way it is, and blamed it all on the United States. Where, what's going to happen here? I, I, the good news is everybody was around the world was fearful that this was going to accelerate 
Um, do you agree with Donald Trump's decision to eliminate this I general? I do. Okay, and why? Um, Iran, uh, there is an existential threat if Iran or North Korea are able to deliver nuclear weapons. Uh, there's re reasonable people can believe that they might do it for irrational, what, what we would consider irrational uh, uh, reasons, but uh, to the people who are there, they are. So it's in, it seems to me in the interest of the United States not to let Iran get a nuclear weapon or missiles that can deliver it and to find a way to prevent North Korea from getting a delivery system and mini miniaturizing their their weapons. So, because they have a missile now that could hit Washington, D.C., so anywhere in the United States. Um, the way you do that is you deter them, okay? And deterrence works because you say, if you do X, I will respond. If you do X again, I will respond again bigger, okay? Uh, Mr. Trump announced a red line. Uh, when the Iranians attacked the uh, Saudi Arabian oil fields, he did nothing. When they attacked our drone, shut down our drone, nothing. When they killed an American, he killed Soleimani, uh, took him out. This is a guy who had engaged in terrorism and nobody listened to both sides. Nobody is weeping for him. So the question becomes, is Mr. Trump uh, stopping Iran by deterring it or is he initiating uh, a situation that will lead to war. Uh, the sanctions that we have on Iran have really harmed their economy. Uh, their people are really upset that you hear about demonstrations in the in country uh, and them having to shoot yes. demonstrators. Yes, 400. That's, that's been going on for about a year now. Yes. For, because of the economy, now because of the downed airliners where Irani a lot of Iranians were killed in that. So my view is that Mr. Trump deterred him, that uh, they launched a counterattack. They launched 12 missiles at an airbase in Iraq, hit nothing on purpose, I think. And uh, because had they killed an American soldier, uh, Mr. Trump was ready to take out their, yeah. their oil facilities, some of their manufacturing. I mean, we have the capacity to do it, they don't. All right. So they're scared. Thank you, Joe Green, for all of your wonderful opinions. Uh, this has been Bob Oxley with Tips, and we'll say goodbye, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Dr. Bob Oxley with Tips, Topics, Issues, and Positions. For video and or audio of this, go to Podbean or Spotify, YouTube or Facebook, and search Radio St. George or RadioStGeorge.com. Until next week, this has been Bob Oxley with tips on Radio St. George 100.3 FM.